0: And Welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and thank you for joining us for this month's IWF Policy Focus entitled Learning Loss. We'll explore how the lowest risk demographic in the country, children, have struggled throughout the pandemic because of school closures and remote learning. So we're gonna get into the learning loss data and how this has impacted not only children's mental health but also their ability to thrive in college and the workforce. And joining us to break it all down is the author of the Policy Focus. Virginia Jenny Gentles joins us. She is the director of the Education Freedom Center at Independent Women's Forum and is a contributor to the Independent Women's Network. Jenny is a longtime school choice advocate and former state and federal educational policy leader. She served as a senior political appointee in the U.S. Department of Education under President George W. Bush, and her work has appeared in National Review, Newsweek, City Journal, Real Clear Education, and Town Hall. Jenny, a pleasure to have you on She Thinks Today.
1: Thank you, Beverly. I'm glad to be here.
0: And this is an important policy focus because it impacts so many families, obviously impacts most children, considering what most children face during the pandemic. And so I think it's an an unfortunate policy focus that we're even here talking about learning loss, but it is the reality. So I think before we jump into what do we know today, I think it would be good to look at where was education prior to the pandemic? How well were children doing prior to the two years of upheaval that we've seen?
1: I think that's a really important place to start because uh, we know that the news is bad at this point. We can't avoid it, uh, that the news coming out of the pandemic is bad for student achievement. I don't think that many parents and community members were aware of the position that kids were in going into the pandemic. There's a nation's report card, also called NAEP, um, and they test a sampling of students across the country every couple of years. And the 2019 NAEP scores for, for reading Uh, showed that really only a third of, of students were reading proficiently. Um, were reading at the, um, not the basic level, but the proficient level. These were, these were kids equipped to, to go on to college and, and, and were going to be career ready and math, uh, the, the NAEP scores in 2019 were something like 40%. Um, but when you start digging down into that data and you look at the 12th grade math achievement, it's lower. I think it's like a quarter of the, of the 12th graders were proficient in math in 2019 going into the pandemic. And then when you start digging down further into additional subjects like civics, you're talking like 12%. It's, it's really, um, it's distressing how low achievement was pre-pandemic.
0: And where do we come where did we compare at that point in time in reference to the world? So we know that China is usually doing better, the academics there are very, very tough, but were we falling way behind, way behind other countries as well?
1: Well, that's not an, an, a new statistic to, to share with your listeners. I think um, people are generally aware of the fact that as, um, as much as the the United States spends on um, on education, which is a, a remarkable amount, you're talking um, on average fifteen thousand per student, but up to um, up to in the twenties and and maybe up to thirty thousand per student in urban districts. That spending does not show results, and it certainly does not compare well internationally. And the United States is often um, quite low, almost to the bottom of, of Western nations as far as achievement.
0: So we headed into this pandemic already doing poorly, already failing our children. And then we have these two years of disrupted learning, which obviously does impact children in a wide variety of ways. I want to talk about what is meant for them specifically for things like reading and math scores, even literacy. So what do we know at this point in time on how children fared during these two years? Now, of course, depending on where a child lived, it depended um, based on where they live, whether or not they were back in school doing in-person learning sooner than others. So I assume it's region to region, city to city, how children fared. But what do we see as a whole? What is the data pointing to?
1: Well, I wrote this learning loss policy focus for the Independent Women's Forum before a major study came out. And um, that study, let's start there with the, the most recent data. And that's a study that came out, um, a combination of organizations wrote it, uh, it was published through uh, Harvard University and uh, received coverage in both the New York Times and also the Atlantic. So now I think everyone, uh, knows what we're dealing with when it comes to learning loss. And that study looked at 49 states, students in 49 states and Washington DC. Um, and we're talking data for over 2 million students. And, uh, the, the picture is, is bleak. Um, when they looked at, I believe it was math, uh, for the, they, they compared the students who were um, not out of school as much. Of course, most schools closed in March 2020, and that spring was um, difficult um, for for education, um, and a lot of students were impacted. But students in many parts of the country then returned to school in the fall of 2020 and continued to go to school, maybe with some disruptions due to pa- um, pandemic quarantine policies. um But students in um, particularly urban areas, coastal areas, they stayed out of school. I live in one of those areas that was determined to keep schools closed even for most of the 2020-21 school year. This study out of Harvard University found that the students um, who were in the districts that reopened in the fall and were primarily opened that next school year, they lost about a 20% um, of a year's worth of of math compared to, to previous years versus the students in in districts that were that were closed and kept kids out of schools and provided, quote unquote, remote instruction during the 2020-21 school year. For the most part, those students lost 50 percent, the equivalent of 50 percent of a year worth of, of math instruction. Um, so. What's particularly horrible about this is that, uh, the students who lived in these school districts that were determined to stay closed were more likely to be low income and more likely to be black and Hispanic minority students. Those were the kids who got hit the hardest by these school closures. And those are the kids who are suffering the most, uh, with this learning loss crisis that we're facing.
0: And so when you look at the, school districts where they were closed longer, closed for some up to even two years. What is it about the online learning that leads to this learning loss? Is it just impossible for a teacher to teach the same amount of hours for the students to be able to pay attention that long when they're using an iPad or a computer? Or were teachers just not teaching? Were kids just not showing up to class? What are some of the reasons for that?
1: Well, I think that you referenced a, a number of elements in, in your question there. And I think one thing that that might be a bit of a misconception is that we talk about Zoom school, uh, that when, when schools were closed, that uh, parents were looking over the shoulder of their students into Zoom classrooms. That's something that I actually say. Um, but it's technically not accurate for a lot of uh, what students were actually experiencing. They weren't necessarily logged on in the morning at, you know, 830 when school started and logged off at three o'clock when the school day was over. A lot of students were in school districts, in schools that simply uploaded assignments to a classroom management system and expected the students and or their parents to download those, download those assignments, ensure that the student uh, completed them, and then go through the steps necessary to then upload the, com- the completed um, assignments back into the system so that the teacher could review them. That has... Nothing to do with the actual experience of of going to school. Um, that does not look like the class direct classroom instruction that students needed and deserved um, throughout the the pandemic, even when they were receiving remote instruction. So the the quality of remote instruction um, was a uh, very much a factor here. The fact that a lot of students were not directly interacting with with teachers at all, and then uh, the attendance, as you as you referenced. And it's kind of understandable, uh, particularly for students who were at home on their own without adults helping them navigate these systems um, because their parents were, you know, out and, and, and working um, and out of the house. Those kids are really became disengaged and understandably so. And so attendance um, fell off. And then when schools, even when they reopened, um, a lot of those kids have been lost to the system and, and have not returned.
0: And there's also this other element, which is you mentioned low income students who are greatly impacted by this, the areas that close the longest. There's also the fact that not every household can can afford high speed Internet not every household can afford multiple computers if they have multiple children so as part of this that even some households couldn't afford all the virtual learning tools that were needed in order for the children to even learn even if it wasn't quality learning at least learn something
1: i think it's worth noting that the the ability to connect remotely was difficult from a technical aspect. And I I do think that we saw a number of um, examples of of districts absolutely doing the right thing by ensuring that they were distributing Chromebooks and iPads to students and going to extra measures to reach kids to ensure that they had the the technology that they needed. School districts were even um, making hotspots available. You You heard early on of South Carolina school districts parking buses in various places. So that kids would would have better access buses that would then help with their with their remote access. So th- there were um, anecdotal um, stories about districts doing the right thing from the technology standpoint. That doesn't mean that it all came together and that it all worked. And then um, the federal government um certainly made funding available so that school districts could do this there were three rounds of of federal funding that were sent out to K to 12 schools totaling 190 billion dollars of supplemental federal funding and uh, especially early on with the CARES Act in spring of 2020 that's there was an expectation that that funding was going to be used just for for this sort of thing but um it it wasn't. Um, and the kids did not receive the, the technology and the, the access that they needed. And the low income families were disproportionately impacted.
0: And so this begs a question for those children who have fallen behind because their schools were not open. There was no in-person learning or, as you even mentioned, schools are reopened. But students just haven't go- gone back is for those who have gone back, those who've fallen behind, can they catch up what is that process of trying to get them uh, to be able to compete on the same level as other students who've been in class longer I,
1: one thing that I addressed in the in the policy focus um, were the just just the avalanche of studies that have been coming out throughout the pandemic showing that this was happening. We saw this unfold. We didn't have to wait for this definitive Harvard study. We knew early on that these kids were, were falling behind. One of those studies that I, I cite um, looked at, again, millions of students' achievement data and identified the fact that the students were doing worse as they were back in school and, and testing Um, and the, the study concluded that the, there's a a compounding effect to these closures, to what happened, um, with, with these students. So I I think right now I, I don't see the light and, and see a lot of hope for getting kids caught up because I think right now we're just really, um, in a, in a dark place acknowledging, um, just how widespread the learning losses, just how much it disproportionately impacted vulnerable students and um and the compounding effects of of the learning loss of the of the school closures. Um, one group that we haven't mentioned are the the younger children who were on Zoom <laughs> or not even on Zoom when schools were closed in kindergarten and first grade, even into second grade, and therefore did not learn to, to read, because understandably, a teacher was not able to, to teach them to read. And then when they were turned to classrooms, a lot of times the teachers were um, wearing masks and the students weren't able to see their mouths and learn how to uh, form sounds and and pronounce words. And and so they fell even further behind in reading. and um, And so So those students are still struggling. If you hadn't learned how to read before the pandemic, a lot of those kids are still struggling to learn how to to read well up into elementary school. So it it looks pretty bleak, but I think that your question wasn't how bad is it? We've covered that. Um, Your question was, is there anything to to do to catch them up and um, what can be done? And, And so there certainly is an effort underway to provide what's called high dosage tutoring. Um, uh, there has been some effort to offer summer school. Um, there's been very little effort to extend the school day or to say double up on on math or double up on on reading. All of those efforts, though, require staff, require tutors, require teachers, and um, school districts are having trouble both on the contracting front to work through the process of of taking. These billions of uh, federal supplemental funding and getting them out the door. Um, and, and then also they're having trouble finding um, staff who are who are willing to stay after school to provide the extra tutoring and to um, teach in summer school.
0: Well, I wanted to take a quick break to ask you, our audience, a question. Are you a conservative woman? Do you feel problematic for just existing in today's political landscape? If so, I have something for you. Every Thursday morning on problematic women. Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen sort through the news to bring you stories and interviews that are of particular interest to you, a problematic woman that is a woman whose opinions are often excluded or even mocked by those on the so-called pro-woman left. Lauren and Virginia break down the news you care about in an upbeat and sharp-witted way, so search for problematic women wherever you get your podcasts. And we are talking to Virginia Jenny Gentles. Her policy focus at IWF this month, which you can find on IWF.org, is called learning loss. So we've gone through the learning loss problems that we have seen, given some tips on what can be done. I want to focus also on another part of the loss that we've seen. There's the learning loss itself, but there's also the social loss. There's the loss of mental well-being, the mental health aspect. There's also the loss of Losing skills, the social skills needed for, let's say, graduating and being able to get into higher education for one's career. Those things seem harder to measure. Does the policy focus get into the mental health and also just the ability for a child to thrive after K-12? Or are those a little bit outside of this focus?
1: This is absolutely an area that's important to the Independent Women's Forum. Also, a, a discussion that we have regularly over on the Independent Women's Network. I would say the policy focus um, did address that in the sense that I, I cited um, McKinsey studies that that mentioned that we're not just talking about learning loss right now. We're talking about um, the, the impacts of this, uh, ensuring that that students are going to be on a different life trajectory. They're not going to have the same um opportunities to go on to college and this is going to impact lifelong learning um as far as the the social impacts, that's something that I've addressed elsewhere. As far as um, behavior issues that are impacting students um, and teachers now that they're back in the classroom, um, I know in in my community there are widespread spread discipline issues. The the middle school that my daughter would have been attended if we hadn't switched to a private school um, that was open during the pandemic, um, the police have been called 22 times um, this year already to to that middle school. Um, so this is absolutely something that um, parents, community members, community leaders need to be very concerned about. And um, not only are we dealing with a learning loss crisis, um, we're dealing with with kids who um, emotionally, behaviorally, socially are um, not able to to function um, as they should be in the, in the classroom. and all of that um, needs to get back on track both for the students, but also for the teachers. The teachers deserve to be working in safe environments.
0: And we talk a lot about children being resilient. I felt like we heard that a lot during the two years, but at the same time, we are talking about a group of individuals in this country who were one of those least impacted demographic by COVID. So we're talking about young children who, thank God, were for the majority of of them, were not going to be impacted too negatively by COVID. Yet we made all these changes to keep them out of school. Uh, People went back to work before kids went back to school in some areas. Do we look back now, especially as we look at this policy focus, and think, man, we got it all wrong?
1: Well, some of us were saying that all along. Actually, quite a few um, people were saying that all along. Um, if you go through Twitter, the hashtag open schools Twitter, hashtag team reality Twitter, um, a lot of us knew that uh, a, a crisis was unfolding right before our eyes. We had the data, the studies were showing that. Um, we, we knew the kids were, were low, low risk. The evidence showed that. Um, it just wasn't allowed. It just wasn't to be said. It wasn't condoned. Um, but now it is. Again, Harvard University study. It's been covered by the New York Times. It's been written about in the Atlantic. Um, so we're allowed to say that. And, but it's not gratifying that were on the other end of this and everybody else is now agreeing with hashtag open schools and hashtag team reality. Um, It's uh, it's still devastating that the kids experienced what they did when they shouldn't have and that the kids have lost so much and that the kids are going to be struggling. This impacts their life trajectories, um, particularly the vulnerable students, the low-income students, the minority students we've talked about, um, the younger students who had not learned to read, and then a third group of vulnerable students we haven't talked about yet. And those are the, the students with special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those students needed an established schedule. They needed and had uh, have a federal law, IDEA, that granted them should have granted them protection and access to, to services, to supports, to therapies, all of that was stripped away. Um, and, and those, those vulnerable students, um, struggled and will continue to. So sure. Everybody now is agreeing, gosh, we shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Um, but we still have a crisis on our hands that we need to address. And that's, that's what I'm concerned about. Um, we don't, perhaps need to be spending too much time pointing fingers, we need to be working really hard to ensure that these students, particularly the vulnerable students, are receiving the the services, the tutoring, the intense academic instruction, and and the, the focus and the care that they need at this point.
0: Absolutely. And sadly, I think as more time goes on and more research is done, we're going to find that there are lifelong effects to some of the decisions that we made in COVID, especially when it comes to children that impacted them, things like learning loss due to school closures. That's why a policy focus like this is so important. Jenny Gentles with IWF, thank you so much for your time today and joining us on She Thinks.
1: Thank you, Beverly.
0: And thank you for joining us. Before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting IWF.org backslash donate. That's IWF.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode so that all your friends know where they can find She Thinks. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for watching.